Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 18th, and trending this hour, Taco Bell. They brought back their vintage classic item and chorito for a limited time. Fans voted on which discontinued menu item they wanted back with a choice between the double-decker taco and the enchorito, and the enchorito won. Also trending, Halloween candy prices. They're skyrocketing. The average household says it plans on spending between $30 and $35 on Halloween candy. Walmart is selling a 160-piece fun-sized variety pack of M&M's, Snickers, Twix, Skittles, and Starburst for $16.98. That's up $2.24 from last year. Amazon selling a 120-piece variety pack of Hershey's candy bars for $10.99. That's $2.01 more than last year. And Sam's Club selling a 450-piece variety pack of Mars candy for $26.98, and that is an increase of $2.50. And Halloween candy increasing by 13% year over year. And finally trending, a Christmas story, or should I say a Christmas story? Christmas. HBO Max has debuted the first teaser video for the upcoming release of A Christmas Story Christmas. Of course, this is the latest sequel to the beloved 1983 film set in Hammond, Indiana. No one should watch this. No one, period. Right I'm right now, I'm putting my foot down. No one should watch this. Because, because it'll ruin the original? Well, yeah, th- they're just milking. Mm-hmm. They're milking a great movie, and certain movies should just stand alone. Like, I've thought this for years about Rocky. The first Rocky was perfect. It ends just classic. Mm -hmm. He knows he beat him. Apollo Creed knows he beat him. Everybody in the building knows he beat him. They're not going to make this unknown guy the champ, so it ends perfectly. Ain't going to be no rematch. Don't want one. And then they just (laughs) ruin it for, for money and nothing else. No one should watch this. Teach these people a lesson. Do not view this movie. Okay, well, it features a grown up Ralphie played once more by Peter Billingsley. A Christmas Story Christmas will release through HBO Max on November 17th. You know, Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, is because I realize not everything's made in Hollywood anymore, but we'll call it that for a lack of better wordage. Mm hmm has almost no new ideas left. And so everything is just a repeat, a recycle, a redo, a remake. You have just totally uncreative people who can't come up with anything good, so they just exploit stuff in order to try to extract money from gullible people. Don't be that person. Oh, fudge. Do you watch it every year? Do you put it on the channel? I think, what, is it TBS that airs it? No, I'm Nonstop? I've gotten past that because I lived that, Casey. I told you, when I met Bruce Springsteen, that's exactly how it went down. I was Ralphie, and he was Santa Claus, (laughs) where I ended up clinging to the guy's leg, and he kicked me down a slide. (laughs) So when you've lived it, mm-hmm. there, there's really no reason to see it anymore. I love that movie. It's a good one. I might peek at it. I'm sorry, Rob, but I might. Don't. I have to. I have to know what Ralphie's up to. I have to. Okay, Casey. <laughs> that was 40 years ago, right? Was it mm-hmm. 1980? Yeah, 83. Okay. okay, Ralphie would be like 51 years old now. <laughs> well, I guess the movie's set in the 50s, so mm-hmm. they would have to set it, I guess, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But the but the kid, the kid who because it's the same kid ralphie so he would be i don't know whatever he was 12 let's say if he was 12 he would be 40 uh, 54 years old now why would you want to see that you know who's producing this movie vince vaughn 
Of course. <laughs> it's nine minutes after 10. He's Rob Kendall. My name is Casey Daniels. We're glad you're here this morning. And it's time to queue up Cool in the Gang celebration. After 54 years at the National Institute of Health and 38 years as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, our favorite bobblehead, Dr. Fauci, will be stepping down from public service at the end of this year. He recently sat down for an interview with ABC News to talk about his tenure in public service service. It was an intimate interview. They also discussed the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, some of the controversies that consumed the last two and a half years of his tenure. This is, uh, well, it's great for us because we get to point out what a colossal fraud and hack and disingenuous gas bag this guy is. But this is just the most classic thing ever. We're going to play a couple clips from this and we're going to start with Fauci is phenomenal, and this is what leftists do. He was Johnny Power Pants when the thing was going on. Not only was he barking out orders, he was shaming and shunning anybody who raised their hand and said, uh, yeah, no, that's not really how our our society works based on the liberties and freedoms given to us. And then they turned you into someone who was intent on killing every grandmother west of the Mississippi. And in this in this clip, first clip we're going to play, he tries to play the victim and says, oh, I'm not political. So what's the biggest misconception about you? You know, I don't know, John. I think the misconception is that I was misleading people. You know, to say that I, who have been advised to seven presidents and have never, ever veered one way or the other from an ideological standpoint, for somebody to say that, you know, I'm political. Yeah, political. I mean, that's completely crazy. You were the leading voice in a shutting down society. That is political. And any person that dared to raise their hand and go, yeah, that's not that's not going to work. That's not how we're set up as a society. You turned them into evil, vicious monsters. And you were wrong, Fauci. Fauci's been as wrong about this as he was AIDS and HIV. And the same thing happened with both. Needless death and destruction because of this guy he sounded almost nostalgic during this interview well sure because because he craves power he craves the spotlight he craves attention what was he doing he was appearing on in style magazine he was appearing he was throwing out the first pitch at empty stadium baseball games the guy lives to see himself he did say he wasn't political but then he went on in the interview to say the best part was operation warp speed when trump greenlit the fast track of vaccines well that's political because it became political sure now next clip this is another thing that fauci does and this is another thing that the left does and we talk about it a lot now with the word recession like all the articles now just say 100% chance of recession. Mm-hmm. Recession very likely. Recession appears inevitable. We're, we're in a recession. By every definition I've ever had on a recession from the time I was born until I guess about three months ago, we're in a recession. But they just changed the definition on it, and everybody just, the rank and file national media just lines up and goes, oh. Okay. Okay, sure. Yeah. So here Fauci says, Fauci, so Fauci was the guy who was a leader 
in setting an environment by which schools felt compelled to close, in which schools felt they could not be open, in which schools felt compelled to make your child wear a mask. You know, I saw school board meeting after school board meeting, especially in Brownsburg where I live, I went to those meetings in which they said, especially with the mask, where they said, well, you know, the, the, the CDC says, or this group says, well, Fauci is the cheerleader in chief for all of that, for the information that these schools were relying on across this country to shut down. And so whether Fauci went out there and waved a magic wand or came out, the, did he come out there with handcuffs and a billy club and threaten you if you didn't sh- you shut your specific school down? No. But these schools are sitting there going, well, the CDC says we absolutely, you know, have to do this or, you know, the kids could be at risk. Mm-hmm. What did you think was going to happen? And here he plays the victim and tries to act like he had nothing to do with schools closing. Was it a mistake in so many states and so many localities uh, to see schools closed as long as they were? I think in some case, I don't want to use the word mistake, John, because if I do, it gets taken out of the context that you're asking me the question on. Was it it, it Uh, too high a price? Yeah, I would say that what we should realize and have realized that there will be deleterious collateral consequences when you do something like that, this idea that this virus doesn't afflict children is not so. It does. We've lost close to 1,500 kids so far. But with, much less but, than yeah. the older population, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you shouldn't discount that it does afflict children. So it isn't without consequences. If you go back, and I ask anybody to go back over the number of times that I've said we've got to do everything we can to keep the schools open. No one plays that clip. They always come back and say Fauci was responsible for closing schools. I had nothing yeah. to do. I mean, you're, I you're, mean you're, let's get down to the facts. I, I guess I missed Fauci barking at Gavin Newsom and Cuomo and the you know all these other liberal states that not only shut the schools down but did it with joy in their heart. Mm-hmm. Did I? I guess I missed that. Can someone uh, you know, alert me to that press conference where Fauci said, "Hey Newsom, open up." Mm-hmm. Those are deleterious collateral consequences, Rob. For months, cities were locked down. Schools in many areas closed even longer. And still, beginning this year, we're still grappling with masks cities were still talking about this did we pay too high a price mm, yeah yeah i think we did he's so trepidatious about admitting that he doesn't want to say the word mistake because he knows that it will just be rebroadcast over and over and over again hey when we come back mm-hmm. Tulsi Gabbard was on with Trey Gowdy yesterday, mm-hmm. or the other day, and he asked her, because he asked her a question we've been asking, what is next What's for next? her? What's next? What are you going to do? Can we play that clip? Because mm-hmm. I thought she gave an interesting answer. Yep. We'll hear from Tulsi coming up from 93 WIBC. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party. It's now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness. That's what former Rep. Tulsi Gabbard said earlier last week, announcing why she left the Democratic Party. One could uh, say that the Democratic Party left her. 
But what is she doing next? Yeah, so that's obviously been the big question. She announced she is going to go out and campaign for Carrie Lake, the running for governor in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of speculation about what that means. Trey Gowdy, who used to be a congressman, also little known fact for about Trey Gowdy, Casey, if you watch old episodes of Forensic Files, mm-hmm. Trey Gowdy, when he was a local prosecutor, appears on multiple episodes of Forensic Files, a very young Trey Gowdy. So you can watch that. He's got a show on Fox now, and he asked Tulsi Gabbard that, that question, what's next for you? Do you see yourself ever getting back into elective office, or are you content? I mean, you've got a huge platform. Look, I, I mean, Republicans like you more than they do me, and I keep telling them, look, the fact that she's not a Democrat does not mean she's one of you. It does not mean that. But <laughs> what do you see in the next couple of years for yourself? Uh, well, Trey, you're asking if I'm content. I'm not content because life is short and there are many, many uh, challenges that we face here in this country. There are many challenges that we face in the world. The Tulsi Gabbard Show is an opportunity for me to have a an unfiltered and unlimited platform to be able to talk about my views and perspectives on a lot of these issues and to talk with others who are experts who have different perspectives as well to better inform and engage and get us to a place where we together as Americans can move forward towards actually starting to solve some of these problems. Life is short. I'm going to continue to do everything I can to serve God and to serve others and to make a positive impact with the limited time I have. Whether that leads back into elected office in the future or not, to me, is kind of irrelevant. The question I ask myself every day is how can I make uh, that positive impact? People better be careful with her, and that's all I'm going to say, because she has a lot of views that Mm -hmm. are super left, and she makes a lot of sense on the war stuff and the military-industrial complex stuff, but she's got a lot of super liberal views that when you start— it's the same thing with Manchin. Remember when it was like, oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. Manchin, he's so charming and handsome, and he should be a— a Republican. And in a weird way, Joe Manchin would be the perfect Republican because he's for all sorts of big government and big spending and all those sort of things. But when you start peeling back the onion, as you've seen, mm-hmm. consistently he votes with the Democrats yeah. on most things. So people just better be real careful with her when you start clamoring for her to be a Republican or whatever because she's she's not. Okay, so she told attendees at the Independent Women's Forum that those in the highest positions of power are denying the truth when refusing to define women. And she's also being urged by some people to run for president with Christy Noem saying that that would be the best-looking ticket ever. Yes, it may be a good-looking ticket, but would it be effective? Casey. Yes. I have a question for you. Okay. And this is a game that we'll call we'll play called What's Worse. <laughs> you have to tell me which is worse. Okay. What is worse? Saying Hunter Biden is the smartest guy you know <laughs> or saying John Fetterman is impressive. Which one of those would be worse? Oh, gosh. I'm going to say the Hunter Biden is worse. Well, in this case, you don't have to choose because now we know, thanks to Corinne Jean-Pierre, Joe Biden thinks both.
but speaking only about the president's uh, um, personal conversation with Lieutenant Governor Fetterman. Uh, the president has found him to be an impressive individual, and uh, who is just as capable as who has been who's just as capable as always, and who is who's carrying out his office. He's currently the Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, as we know, and he's doing that with great ability and heartfelt concern for the people of the Commonwealth. So yes, the president feels that he is. He is very much capable of doing the job. Anyone who can complete a sentence is impressive to Biden. So in the Biden world, (laughs) and there is no debate on this because we've heard Biden say it, and now she speaks for Biden on this Mm -hmm. one. Hunter (laughs) Biden is the smartest guy Joe Biden knows, and he thinks John Fetterman, who can't in many instances string three words together that make sense— Is quite impressive. (laughs) You know who's not impressed with Joe Biden? Yes. Is a woman from Wisconsin. Let's hear from her. This is just an epic roast. I think that we are in worse shape now under the Biden administration. We are the laughing stocks across the pond and in Western Europe. As far as the economy. Let's talk about the Keystone Pipeline. Day one in office, there's Joe Biden with his executive order. Let's not blame our gas price on the Ukraine thing. That has nothing to do with it. It's all about Joe Biden. And anything this man touches just falls apart. She was part of a focus group of Mm -hmm. Wisconsin voters that Fox News had, because obviously there was a very close U.S. Senate race, Ron Johnson, who, in addition to being a Republican senator from Wisconsin up for re-election, also uh, one of the great characters in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Ron Johnson, stereo salesman. Uh, he's lived quite the life, Casey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, so they were talking to them about Biden and the you know the role Biden's playing in mm-hmm. in people's votes. And wasn't it Obama who said that Joe Biden would mess it up one way or the other? Yes, absolutely. Just by opening up his mouth. Okay, we're going to hear from you coming up. 317-684-8444. That is the phone number. Voicemails up next from 93 WIBC. I'm so sorry you have just reached my answering machine. Good morning. It is 1032 with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC 317-684-8444. That is the phone number. We love hearing from you. It's my favorite part of the program when our listeners get to chime in. Yeah, you know, it's really a risk, us uh, allowing other people to go on this uh, radio station, given our very, 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 very impressive ratings. But... You know, I feel like we owe it to the people because we are people of the people. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to it. Uh, First lady up. She's got an issue with the way I treat uh, the Republicans. Mm. Hey, Rob, I love listening to the show. Obviously, you are bashing Republicans nonstop. My question to you is when are you going to start pointing out all the defects that the Democrats have instead of focusing on the Republicans? I'll wait to hear your answer. Thanks. <laughs> well, I feel like we do a pretty fair job of pointing out what an inept buffoon Biden is on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I think we literally just did a thing about how nutso Fetterman is and how ridiculous it is that Biden thinks his kid is the smartest kid guy he knows and that Fetterman's really impressive. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like on an almost daily basis, we talk about Biden in some shape, form, or fashion. We talk about the Democrat Party in some shape, form, or fashion. We just earlier talked about how ridiculous it is that on-demand abortion advocate Destiny Wells and Tom McDermott, the U.S. Senate candidate, mm-hmm. are having this contract with women, which is basically an advocation for abortion from conception to live birth. I mean, do Again, like just like people have just selective hearing around here. Now, I do rip on the Republicans because they deserve to be ripped on. And when we talk about Indiana, there are no Democrats in statewide elected office. There, both of our senators are Republican. Seven of our nine congressional reps are Republican. When we talk about Indianapolis, we're very critical of Ryan Mears mm-hmm. and 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 Joe Hogg. So what? what but when it comes to Indiana state government issues. There's less to choose from. There, what, what Democrats would I talk? Again, it's like people just get mad because it's like holding up a mirror to somebody and them going, no, 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 I don't like what I see. And you're guilty because you held the mirror up and forced me to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have said that Tom McDermott did very well in the first half hour of the Senate debate, but it was the last half hour where he lost you. Sure. And and we, we are honest here. We said, you know, to be fair, James Siniak, who I'm voting for, did a terrible job. We mm-hmm. said- he didn't rise to the moment. Like yeah. we're critical of people that deserve to be critical, and on the rare occasion that the Republicans actually do something worthwhile in this state, we praise them. Mm-hmm. I'm not the bad guy for holding up the mirror and forcing you to see the reflection. Maybe she wants us to pick on Gavin Newsom a little bit. Yeah, because that has or a Chuck lot. Schumer. That has a lot of relevance here in the state of Indiana. Nancy right? Pelosi. Uh, just, Bernie Sanders. All right, uh, somebody. We've been getting a lot of calls about. We, you know, we talked about the primary process and about how hard it is mm-hmm. because a lot of these people. And you know, we got into it with Micah last hour about the same thing. Of we just got to we got to get some good people in primary. Them. The system is set up where it's almost impossible for a statewide office candidate, senator, or governor to primary that person. And somebody uh, called about that. Hey, Robin Casey, talking about primaries. It's, it, that's all. That's rigged because also us taxpayers have to pay for those primaries, and I can't. I can only vote in one primary. I can't vote against Andre Carson and then go over and also pick a Republican candidate. The whole thing's rigged. They ought to. We ought to get rid of primaries. We don't need them. They're just an extra expense on us taxpayers. Thank you. He's one hundred percent right. Primaries are private party functions. And as such, they should be paid for by the parties. The Indiana Republican and Democrat Party nominate their secretary of state, mm-hmm. their auditor, their mm-hmm. attorney general, all these candidates for statewide office at a convention. Mm-hmm. There's zero reason that they would not nominate their U.S. Senate and governor candidates also at a convention other than the Republicans and Democrats want the system rigged so that they can control the narrative on who runs and they can keep people from running. There's no reason that I should be paying, you should be paying, Kevin should be paying for Democrat and Republicans to hold uh, 
nominating contests at our expense. The Libertarians nominate all of their candidates at a private convention. And this is another reason that people should vote for Jeff Moore in the Secretary of State's race, because if he gets the 10%, they then get primary ballot access. And Evan McMahon, the party chair, spelled it out for us. They will file a lawsuit against the state of Indiana on these corrupt, unfair primary processes, and they will have standing because they are now in that process. It is another reason to pull the lever for the Libertarian in the Secretary of State's race. So what you're telling me is it was, what, back in September that the Republicans had their state convention? June. June. And they, on the second round, Diego Morales was nominated for Secretary of State. Correct. That was paid for by me and you and Kevin? No, that was not paid for by me, you, and Kevin, which there's no reason we should be paying for any of it. They should be paying for all of it. When Todd Young, he didn't have any competition because they kicked Danny Niederberger off the ballot because it's impossible unless you're a sitting office holder or infinitely wealthy to get the signatures. If he would have had a a competition Mm -hmm. or if Holcomb would have had a competition, we're paying for it. We're paying. There shouldn't be primaries, should not be paid for by taxpayers, period. I'm talking about the statewide offices. There's no reason that the you know the jeff thompson is my state representative there's no reason as a republican i should be paying for his nominating contest i'm not voting for that doofus i didn't vote for him in a primary i'm not voting for him in a general there's no reason for the the republicans want to pick their people there's no reason that i should be paying for that and there's no reason the same thing for the democrats you're a private party stop using public money to facilitate your nominating contest it's kennel and casey on 93 wibc we've got a few more of your voicemails at 317-684-8444 what's next uh somebody made a good point obviously there was a terrible debate that took place on sunday um and the debate was a colossal waste of everyone's time to steal a phrase from uh Billy Madison, we are all dumber for having <laughs> been forced to consume Participating. it. And somebody made a good point, a question about getting better people in the debating mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kendall and Casey, this is Bill from Carmel. Um, I'm confused about why we can't get better debaters in the Republican Party. You know, the fact is that when you give people seven things to try to remember or seven policy uh, arrangements or uh, goals that you want. People don't remember that. They remember two or three. And Philip Stutz is, a, is an author and researcher, and he talks about that all the time. You have to have two or three things and hammer those things hard, be it immigration, inflation, law and order, whatever those things are. And I just feel like these guys go all over the board. So just want to get your comment on that. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. They go all over the board in the case of Todd Young because he was the person debating because he's not a real person. Now, he's a real person in the sense of he's a human being, like he, I guess, has a heart and a brain. The second one's questionable a lot of times, but he's functioning as a human, but he's a robot. Todd Young's entire life, from he was, from the time he was old enough to tie his shoes, was about getting into public office. And as such, everything they do is about staying in public office. Look, James Siniak did, I guess you would say, a terrible job debating, but he's a real person, right? He's a real person. He gave kind of answers that weren't the best, but he's a real person. A guy like Todd Young is programmed to respond to key words, Mm -hmm. right? And you see this with all the lifer politicians, 
you see all all these people that the, if they've been in the Senate forever or the House forever or they're running for president, they give programmed responses based on a key word that is said to them. And so that's why their answers are robotic. It's why their answers don't come off as genuine. It's why they try to hit nine different things when they're talking, because it's a programmed response. And it's a programmed response because that's who you get as your nominees, because the parties do not want real people running for public office because real people who might speak the truth might have their own opinion are a threat to the donors and the lobbyists. And that is why they don't want them running. So you're saying, although he stumbled quite a bit and maybe sounded unprepared, Cineac's performance showed a bit of authenticity as well. Well, he's a real person, right? He's not a career politician. And so he should have done better. He didn't help himself by not doing better. But in a weird way, it's like that's what if you took a person off the street and were like, hey, you're in a debate. That That's how they would respond. Tom McDermott has been the mayor of Hammond forever. Is it a U.S. senator? No. But he spent the past decade and a half. Perfecting his speech. Exactly. He goes to yeah. ribbon cuttings. He goes to business events. He goes to chamber lunches. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. James Sidniak is a, is a guy who by day works with kids who have autism. He, he is a real person with a real job, and if you are a real person with a real job and have never debated before— You're not as polished. Exactly. Sure. Now You haven't been practicing the skill. Now, again, just because you're not polished or don't have the skill, you shouldn't have turned yourself into a Saturday Night Live character, which is what he did. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is what it is. All right, uh— we got a person here who continued to have a lot of people commenting. We talked about Social Security last mm-hmm. week, talked about how it's an entitlement, mm-hmm. how it's completely screwed up, about how the government has screwed it up. A lot of people still weighing in on that. Uh, when I started drawing Social Security at 62, uh, I went to the Social Security office uh, uh, back when Obama was president. And while I was there, they had about 20 or 30 Spanish-speaking people there in the Social Security office, and they were drawing uh, SSI, Social Security. That is our Social Security that they're giving to these immigrants. And not only that, but the money you're supposed to get in this new uh, $144 they're saying that you're going to get, a lot of that money will be taken out and Social Security insurance that you pay for your health insurance through Social Security. So you really won't get the $140, $144, whatever you're going to get. They're going to take it. When I started, I was $120. I went to $144, and now I'm paying $170 a month for the insurance through Social Security. So you're losing, and you're right. It is an entitlement. We paid into it, but... Uh, and it's going to go broke because the Democrats and some of these Republicans, like Todd Young, are spending their money and giving it away to other people who have not paid into it. I love your show. Keep up the good work. All right. Yes. So he's right. So uh, first of all, let's clarify. You could still be a Spanish speaker and get Social Security. Mm-hmm. That's not the deal. But he's also right. There are a lot of people who are not legal citizens per se of the United States who are getting social security. And there are a lot of people who get a lot more out of social security Mm -hmm. than they put into it. Because once you're in it, you're in it until you're no longer breathing. And there are 
tons and tons of problems with Social Security, and nobody wants to address it, which is the point that I made because it all goes back to that very mean-spirited, aggressive conversation that I had with the Duke of Spendingburg mm -hmm. while his evil assistant Igor sat behind me thinking he was going to get me by filming me. Like, Todd Young was moving towards me, and this guy whips out his camera. It's like, what do you think's going to happen here, buddy? What, we're going to fist fight at the Stacks Pancake House? The point of it all was, though, Todd said he's never stopping. He's not making any changes to Social Security. Mm -hmm. He's not making any changes to Medicare, Medicaid. He's not touching any of it. So we'll never stop. You have to change it, make changes to it. Or we're going broke. We're going bankrupt. The, the the programs themselves are running out of money. And Todd Young has said, I'm never stopping, so I guess we're going broke. Does population play into this at all? Because there's a whole group of people who, a smaller group, like the Gen X, for example. Mm -hmm. There's not as many Gen X as boomers, so there's not as many people who are going to be drawing on Social Security. And then there's the Gen Y after us, who's much bigger than Gen X. Well, it's the amount of people paying in versus the amount of people taking out. And as life expectancy goes longer... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, nobody's saying get rid of Social Security. If you want to give your money to the government for your whole life and get almost no rate of return, and then when you turn 62 or whatever, get that money, great, good on you. But I shouldn't be forced to give my money interest-free, basically, to the federal government my entire life with no guarantee it's going to be there. It's not. We're not going to – Kevin and I are not going to see Social Security in its current form. And I'm willing right now, as, as a as – a, free-thinking human being to say, at least if you're not going to give me my money and let me do it that I say, please. Don't take it now. Well, but make changes to it. Make changes to it to say, at 65, fine. But at 60 or 62, mm -hmm. you can still be working. It's mm -hmm. not unreasonable to say to somebody, I'm not expecting at 90 years old for people to still be working, but it's not unreasonable to say we're going to change the eligibility age so let's find some things that can make this thing solvent. We, and people like Todd Young or Bernie Sanders or whoever don't even want to have that conversation. Well, if you do wait longer to draw on it, you get a bigger chunk of it. But there's no point in doing that because you don't know when you're going to die. You yeah. Kick the bucket tomorrow. <laughs> All right, Hammer's coming up next. All right, Hammer's on the way from 93 WIBC. 1052 with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Hammers in the studio. We didn't get a chance to talk to you about that Tennessee-Alabama game that happened over oh, the weekend. 52-49. I know you're a Tennessee fan. Here's my question for you. Do you think the celebration was excessive? So, do you remember a number of years ago when Charles Barkley threw a drunk guy through a plate glass window at a restaurant and his response was, that was the best money I ever spent. <laughs> that's how I feel about the Tennessee Athletic Program right now. Yes, the $100,000 fine, mm -hmm. that's the best money you've ever spent. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, SEC budgets, these programs, Tennessee, Bama, LSU, they will pay teams like Ball State a million dollars to come in and get their doors blown off. So that's the kind of money that they have to play with here. I don't think they mind spending a hundred grand to replace the goalposts. Uh Okay, but isn't this like, I felt this way when IU beat someone last year and they stormed the court and acted like lunatics. Tennessee is, was, should be a blue blood college football program. Shouldn't you, like, I mean, isn't that a bit of an excess for somebody who's supposed to like act like you've been there before? Like they've won national championships. But like Indiana, they haven't been. 
Like in a lot of people's minds, you might think, oh, yes, they belong. Tennessee hasn't beaten Alabama in 15 years. They'd never beaten Nick Saban. Uh, Tennessee hasn't been part of any Final Four conversation since the very first year of that BCS thing in 1998. So... It was fine. Let the kids have some fun. And the last time they tore down the goalposts was in 1998 when they finally got over the hump. T. Martin. And beat Florida. And they went on to win the Natty that year. I was on campus that night as the uh, the coupon lady was the flag girl for the yeah. football team. And uh, that was a fun night. And this past weekend was fun. But enjoy it now. Because after this little Sisters of the Poor game they've got on Saturday, you go down to Georgia. Mm. All right. You're going to join us next segment. What are we going to do? So you and I had a little text exchange during that god-awful, horrific Senate debate yeah. that looked more like Celebrity Jeopardy yeah. than a debate. So you and I are going to talk about if we can teach these people to debate. Let's do it. Okay. Hammer will return at the top of the hour. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC.